The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan on News Talk. You're welcome back to The Hard Shoulder. Kieran Cuddy with you until seven o'clock, and I'm delighted to say that uh, Ken Doherty, 1997 World Snooker Champion, is with me for the Thursday interview. Ken, how are you? I'm great, thank you. Yeah, yeah great, great because you won me. a few quid and the uh, horses today. Yeah, I we believe. just uh, we watched the race <laughs> at Cheltenham there, and my friend is Johnny Johnny McElhenney, uh, Irish fella, has a few pubs in London. And uh, we went into Shane's to watch the race and good time Johnny was running so we said we have to back that. <laughs> it has to be an omen. Uh, so we had a tenner each way on it, was it Johnny? Yeah, tenner each way in it. So we... Sh- Shout with the pub down like we had about a thousand each way. <laughs> good fun, good yeah, fun. Yeah, it was a good, uh, uh, good start to the day. Yeah, nice start to the day. Uh, so, Ted, so snooker championships, I mentioned 97, mm. uh, they're around the corner. Um, you hoping to make an appearance this year? Yeah, I'd love to. I mean, the qualifiers are on, they start at the beginning of April. Uh, but it's, it's uh, you know, I've got to win four matches, I think, to qualify. So it'll be very tough, like you know what I mean. It gets it gets tougher and tougher, unfortunately, as you as you get a bit older. But I still enjoy the challenge. Still enjoy the, uh, you know, I'd love one more, you know, one more appearance at the Crucible. You know, come out through those curtains and down through the steps, and onto the uh, arena floor. And I think if I did, <clears throat> I think that would be uh, that would be sort of fitting, just to as last time, sort of playing there, you know. And um, why only one more? You don't think you do one more and then you yeah, want one I know, more again? Yeah, I know. I think uh, you know when you come to this stage of your life, you know, like you know, and I'm like, well, I'm 53 now, you know, and I've I've had a good innings. I've enjoyed my my life as a as a snooker player, uh, and enjoyed the time, you know, playing from you know the age picking up the cue when I, when I was like eight years of age and. Uh, you know, so many good good memories of the World Championship. You know, of mm. Sheffield and the Crucible, and uh, yeah, I think it would be it would be fitting. But if it's some, you know, sometimes it it doesn't always work out like you'd like to. But it doesn't matter if it doesn't. You know, I, I do I it wouldn't really bother me if I sort of if I gave it up like you know the next few years. It wouldn't bother me that I never sort of made another appearance there because like I've had some good appearances there over the yeah. years, and you have to look back on the good times. You you can't sort of reflect on the negative times even though they sort of irk you more you know particularly our losses at the crucible or whatever but you have to you know look back and be very reflective and sort of say you know if you would have given me this when I, when I picked up my cue or you know like a and would you have taken this I would have said yeah absolutely you know so when you say there with the the, the times you missed out maybe or can you do you think more about the, the, the couple of finals you were in that you didn't win rather yeah, than 97 absolutely yeah I mean Any you know when particular? I look back I, when I look back um, winning winning in 97 was like the greatest day of my life obviously as, as, a, as a professional snooker player there's no doubt about that and it's got such wonderful sort of memories and I try I try and remind Stephen Hendry every time I'm in his club <laughs> <laughs> about 1997 which really sort of pisses him off <laughs> which is great you know uh, but um, I mean we did a little tour of the 25 years anniversary and he goes to me how long is this 25 years going to go on and then it ran into like 20 you know the next year uh and he says, "Jeez, this twenty-five years, you're really sort of taking the piss a bit, you know." Uh, but uh, no, you never get tired of talking about it. And yeah, it's, it's just magnificent. Uh, I think the ones that sort of you, that get away from you was the '98, uh, the following year, because nobody who'd won it the first time had actually defended it. Mm. Uh, and 
myself and Joe Johnson where we were closest to defend that we got to the final but we fell at the last sort of furlong you know and uh, I think 2003 when I lost to Mark Williams that was 18-16 the comeback big the comeback yeah yeah yeah, because I I had um, had a lot of comebacks and particularly against Paul Hunter in the semi-finals from 15-9 down to beat him 17-16 I played I was 10-2 down to Mark Williams came back to 12 all and uh, went frame for frame but never could never get ahead of him and lost 18-16 and uh, I think that one <clears throat> that one really sort of that would have been one of the greatest world championships wins I think of, of all time because the first round I won 10-9 against Sean Murphy uh, I won in the second round 13-12 against Graham Dot. in the third round I was playing John Higgins I was 10-0 up against him he came back to 10-7 I eventually like clawed over the line uh, 13-8 and then against Hunter 15, uh, from 15-9, I won 17-16. And then 18-16 in the final. You know, I played the most frames ever in the World Championship. Yeah, you played, uh, I was just, count- as you were doing yeah, it, yeah, I started yeah. to count it. You played all but six possible frames. Yeah, exactly. Is yeah, that yeah. it? Yeah, all but six possible last frame deciders. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the maximum you could play would, I don't know what it would be. Well, it'd be what would it be? 35, 33, 68, uh, 25, 93... Uh, 25 uh, 118 and 19 137 you That's could play and, you and I played 120. 120 121 was it 122 well, yeah. or something like that something ridiculous <laughs> like you know yeah, so I was working one. overtime that year yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah actually somebody said one of the one of the uh, it was quite funny one of the TDs in uh, the doll said he was giving out about the finance minister and his figures and all that and he says, these figures are so bad. He says, even Ken Doherty couldn't come back from these figures. <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but, I, yeah. but doesn't that, even, that reference, doesn't it just, mm. it, for, for maybe younger people who don't remember, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, you were just such a superstar. Mm. Like, after 90s, I remember, right? Mm. I remember coming up to Dublin and I had cousins living uh, not far from where your house was in Randla. Yeah. And, um, and we were going into Lansdowne Road to a match and... Mm. Uh, we remember slowing down and they were saying that's, that's Ken Doherty's mother yeah, yeah. And, and, oh, that's and, the house there, and that's the yeah. house and yeah, yeah. you were there because yeah, yeah. You're, you had a personalised reg that's right yeah, at the, yeah, it was yeah, a K yeah, for Ken K or for something. Ken yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And, I, and, and we we actually felt like we were in the vicinity of royalty <laughs> like you were just down the road there yeah, in the house no, you know yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but it was huge well, yeah, even it was the homecoming huge. Yeah, yeah. it was a huge I mean, homecoming it was yeah I mean even the homecoming when I when I won it it was Bank Holiday Monday 97, it was the 5th of May. <clears throat> and I sort of booked the flight to come back on the Tuesday. And Tony O'Donoghue from RTE was there and he said, listen, he says, can you hold off until the Wednesday because I think they're planning a special sort of homecoming for you. Mm. So I said, oh, great, I didn't expect anything. But that year, RTE had sort of taken the last session of the final. So the session of the final, the sessions of the final is over four sessions. Yeah. So I was like... Uh, 15, what was I, 15, 9 going into the final session. And uh, RT took the live pictures from BBC so the whole of the country could watch it. Because even back in 97, parts of Ireland, would you believe, you didn't had, have BBC. Yeah, didn't have yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. So they only had RT 1 and 2. Uh, so the whole of the country was watching it. And that was that made such a, a sort of a, even a greater impact on on the sort of the attention back home. 
I didn't want to know about what was going on. I'd ring home. I'd say, don't tell me what's going on. I don't want to know. I was trying to keep focused because yeah. I didn't want to get carried away. I just want to say, like, you know, we'd ring up with mother. I said, mom, I'm grand. Like, I'm feeling great. He says, don't get too excited. You know what I mean? But I'm playing one of the best players that's ever played, like, in the final. So don't get too excited or whatever, you know? So, um, yeah, I didn't want to know what all the furore was going on back home. I didn't I just sort of try to keep myself in my own little cocoon. But um, when I came back on the Wednesday, I mean, uh, you know, the the, air, the 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 airplane taxied to a different part of the of the, uh, of the airport, and then of course all the, there was a big crowd there waiting, like, and came down with the cup. My mother was there, and I handed it to her. I said, "This is for you, ma'am. Like for all the years I had you, <laughs> I put you under, you know." And and then of course we had the whole like you know the parade of the open top bus through the city centre. Yeah. I never expected anything like that. But it was the impact that it had, like you know, and it made on the whole country, and uh, and that was when I got to the uh, mansion house here in Dawson Street, and the, the Lord Mayor presented me a lovely piece of crystal. It was a big crowd outside, and uh, the, the the chief superintendent said to me from Harcourt Street, he says, "Can I tell you a funny story?" He says, "He says, you know, like from seven between seven and ten on Monday night." He says, we didn't have a phone call into the Central Police Station in Harcourt Street. <laughs> now, we normally have a phone call, he says, every five or six minutes, you know. And the girls in the switchboard in the Central Police Station rang the main telecom switchboard, you know. And they said, is there something wrong with our phones? Like, because we haven't had a phone call now yeah. in the last, like, 15 minutes. And your woman says, are you not watching the Blade and Snow He stopped crying. The whole country is watching the Snow you know. And uh, he said to me, Doherty, the chief of police said, he said, Doherty, he says, uh, he says, you should be on television more often. Oh, he, said, he says, you stopped crying in Dublin, he says, for the last three hours, you know. He says, uh, so yeah, it was quite, it was quite an unusual impact. Uh, but something... I never expected, you know. I never mm. really expected. But going back to Renla on the open top bus, you know, with the you know the family and the friends, the whole of Renla was out on the street, a big party, and uh, yeah, it was just a, it was it was quite incredible, you know. And everywhere I went that year with the cup, you know, the opening of an envelope, I was there. <laughs> with the cup. But I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And uh, yeah, it was just uh, it was like what dreams are made of, you know. You just couldn't beat it. You, you, you mentioned the cup. I heard you tell a story about um, God. What was his name? Uh, Curly Mick. Curly Mick. Yeah. Curly yeah, Mick. Yeah, 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 and yeah. a cup from Iceland. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was different. I mean, that was back in <clears throat> 1989. So I had moved over to England in '88, and uh, I had 500 quid in my pocket. That's all I have. Got on the boat, queue bag hoping to make it as a snooker player you know just sort of left school I was on the dole here for about six months I was collecting the dole in Werbrick Street which is like it's only like a drive and a pitching wedge from yeah. there you know and I um, hated it absolutely hated it going in there you know once a week to collect the dole I just said oh gee, I can't do this anymore I have to I have to get out I have to go to England and just like try me luck and if it doesn't work out well then, you know, so what? Like, at least I tried it, yeah. you know what I mean? Because the worst thing you can do, go through life, not try things, and then regret it for the rest of your life. Because I was a, a, a big fish in a small pool in Ireland, like as regards snooker. So I thought, over, I'll go over there, and I'll play on the pro-am circuit, and I'll try and turn professional, I'll get on the, the pro circuit. So I went over there, 500 quid in my pocket, that's all I had in my name. And uh, I'm at a pro-am one day, and this fella, Corley Mick, who was from King's Cross, I knew him, like, you know, just from going into King's Cross the odd time, the snooker club there. 
where Peter Ebden played and uh, he approached me he says hey, are you going to uh, this World Under 21 Championships in, in Iceland like you know next month and I says uh, I says no nah, no nah. I said I'm not going I said, I said I didn't even know about it to be honest you know and to be honest I said I couldn't afford to go like you know because I, 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 you know I didn't have the money you know mm. and he says to me he says well I think you got a good chance of winning it you know I says if you went and I paid for you, would you go? Like I said, yeah, pretty sure I would. You know? <laughs> I says, what do you want? There? He says, I don't want that now. I says, I just, I think you can win it. You know, I says, I'll, I'll, I'll pay for you. You know, I'll pay for your flight. I'll pay for your accommodation. I says, I'll come along with you. And uh, so he took me to Iceland to Reykjavik. Never been there before. Uh, it was a good feel, like you know. And uh, I got to the final. I ended up playing Jason Ferguson, who was our our world snooker chairman at the moment. I ended up playing him in the final. I beat him 9-3, played out of my skin, won the cup, you know, the, the perpetual trophy, world under 21, became world under 21 champion. And uh, I got a, a sort of piece of Icelandic rock that I could keep. The perpetual trophy obviously had to go back. And uh, I got £3,000 as well. Like, you know, he didn't want any money, Mick. Yeah. He didn't want, uh, he, he said to me, he says, like that, uh, Icelandic rock can I take that back to my friends just get a few photographs you know and just say that I was here and I helped you out and I, I says yeah absolutely you take it my name was on the cup I didn't mind Yeah. and uh, he took it back to London and we went back on the flight he went his way I went mine he took it back to London and I never saw him again you know and <laughs> But I didn't give a shit, you know what I mean? <laughs> and why would you, you know what I mean? Because he paid for my way. I wouldn't have been there. Uh, I had three grand in my pocket, you know? And uh, I was World Under 21 champion. And I would never have been World Under 20 champ- one, Under 21 champion but for Corley Mick, you know? Yeah. And I ended up winning the World Under 21s. I ended up winning the World Amateur Championships uh, a few months later in Singapore because I'd become Irish champion here. And uh, and winning the treble by winning the uh, World Professional Championship in '97, nobody has ever achieved that. E- even to this day, I'm the yeah. only person. I'm the first and the only person to complete like the treble. You know, and I I put it down to Curly Mick, wherever he is now. He's probably like Ronan. He's probably got no cr- curls anymore. But he's probably just called Mick. <laughs> poor slagging our, our poor balding there, senior <laughs> yeah, producer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so who, when you turned professional then, so 89 to 90, mm. like who who were the big characters uh, on the circuit uh, then? On the, uh, the pros, uh, yeah. well, obviously, Stephen Hendry was the main man, like mm. Steve Davis. Uh, Stephen Hendry was world champion in 1990. Steve Davis was world probably number two, but he was like six times world champion. Obviously, uh, Jimmy White, John Parrott. Um, you still had uh, who else would have been playing in those days? Dennis Taylor would have been in yeah. the top 16 those days. You know, Willie Thorne, you yeah, know, Cliff Torborn probably still being playing. And how did you? Like, so Hendry's about the same age as you, isn't he? Hendry is the same age. Yeah, he's born in January 69. I'm born in September. Yeah, okay. But he turned pro. Stephen Hendry turned pro when he was 16. So he turned pro like four years before me, you know. But I I play, I remember the first time I'd seen him play. We were about like 14. And yeah. he was playing for Scotland at the Home Internationals in Prestatton. And I was playing for Ireland. It was my first like cap, international cap for Ireland. And I remember seeing him play and watching him. And he had this wonderful aura of confidence you know what I mean he strolled around his chest out he used to walk around like a peacock you know I used to say it to him you know he was a right cocky bastard you know and he (laughs) he talked to nobody you know what I mean he wouldn't talk to anybody he was real sort of uh, 
uh, you know, just wanted to be his own person, you know, and uh, but he had a, a wonderful aura, and sort of it sort of gave him that fear factor, and I yeah. could understand. I sort of understood a little bit as I got older. You know exactly what he was doing. His psychology was was that I don't need to talk to anybody else because I'm better than you. You know, and it sort of kept them at a distance from everybody. Whereas, like I was like completely different. I like to have friends, and you know what I mean. Being, but I actually I sort of understood it as I got older. But he was fantastic. You know, he mm. very confident. You know, great long putter, great break builder. It frightened you. You know, uh, the way he played the game, and he sort of revolutionised the game when he turned professional. A few years later, uh, he was Scottish champion. Amateur champion. I think he won that when he was fifteen. He turned pro the following year when he was sixteen. Yeah. So there's only there's not many kids who at sixteen turned pro. He was one of them. Yeah. And Ronnie O'Sullivan was the other. And Ron, you you had crossed paths with Ronnie as well when he was yeah. still only young. Well, he really. Was 12. He so when kid. I went so when I went to England Forest, um Eugene Hughes invited me to play in Ilford Snooker Centre, which was over on the east side of London in Essex. And he got me free practice there. Asked the owner, I said, "Look, I've got this young kid coming out from England, uh, from Ireland, and uh, he doesn't have much money. But I think if you give him some free practice and that, I think it'd be good for the club and it'd be good for him. Give him a chance, you know." And I was eighteen then, and uh, Ronnie was only twelve. And his father used to ask me to go around to his house. You know, he'd send a taxi for me. He says, "Will you come around and play Ronnie?" And so he'd give me a few tips, and you know give me, you know, pass on a little bit of advice yeah. to him and stuff like that. And even at 12, he was just unbelievable. Was he? Yeah, I mean, he'd be making century. He was great to even practice with for me, you know. But sometimes, like, you know, I'd, I'd obviously get the better of him, like, and I'd, you know, I'd beat him like 10-2, 10-3 each day, you know. So I always tell people, you know, I was sort of maybe the best in the world, but I used to practice him all the time and I used to beat him 10-2, 10 <laughs> Now, he was only 12 at the time. Still counts, <laughs> but it still, still counts, still counts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But I remember playing with him once and uh, he was setting up. And we Normally, we'd go in, he'd, I'd, he'd send a taxi, the old man would send a taxi for me, 10 o'clock, and I'd go down and he had the snooker table at the bottom of the garden, lovely snooker room. And he'd have the table brushed and ironed, all the balls nice and clean. And we play best of 19, and we play best of 19. We'd come in, have a little break for lunch. His mother would make lunch for us, and then we'd go out and have another best of 19 in the afternoon. Mm. So this time I'd beat him like 10 2, and he was like, Oh, mad. He was like really upset, you know. So he says, I can't play in the afternoon. He says, I got some homework to do, and he says, I got to do this and I got to do that. I says, No problem. I says, Just call a taxi for me, you know. And I says, uh, I'll go back to Ilford Snooker Center. So he called a taxi for me. He went back up through the garden, up through the kitchen, through the house. Taxi's waiting outside. Put the queue in the back seat. I forgot my towel. Like, you know, like, you know your queue towel. So yeah. I said, hold on, taxi driver. I said, back in through the house, down through the hallway, through the kitchen, out into the garden, back into the snooker room. And there's O'Sullivan and he's practicing. Oh. And he saw me Sheepish. come in and he, he absolutely went as red as these walls are. <laughs> <laughs> and I, but I said, look, at you practice. I'll be back again tomorrow. You know what I mean? Um, is there anyone like that now? Any young players like say, this coming? O'Sullivan, there won't be anybody like O'Sullivan. No. He's just like an absolute genius, you know, a genius. And um, it's been great to watch him develop you know and, and turn into the player I think you know he's just been such a great talisman for a sport you know a lot of the stuff over the years I don't like what he says off the way, way from the table but he's just his own man like you know he creates stories creates controversy uh, but when he's on the table he's just so exciting to watch he's so talented he's probably he's our like Messi or Ronaldo you yeah. know what I mean and those those type of players they only come around once every 
maybe couple of generations you know I don't but he may someone like him may never come around again because what he's done for the game or what he's achieved in the game and this year going into the world championship he, he possibly will win his eight world championship if he plays to anywhere near his best I don't think anybody can beat him over a longer distance uh, and he can play left handed he can play right handed he can make one four sevens like you know and not even bother making a one four seven if he doesn't want to uh, you know he's achieved everything in the game and, yeah. and he's still going he's still got great hunger but well, listen uh, I think I speak for everyone when I say we hope you're there as well mm. uh, at the World Championships uh, next month in April Ken listen it's been an absolute pleasure thanks for coming in to us my pleasure thank you The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan weekdays from 4 on News Talk.